0: You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Tuesday, August 23rd. I'm Portia Cook.
1: And I'm Kira McKinley.
0: And you're tuned into KCSU Fort Collins. Welcome to the first episode of the Fall 2022 semester featuring Kira McKinley and myself. On today's show, Kira McKinley goes over campus news with updates on CSU's involvement in a $12 million funded biology institution.
1: Then, Portia goes over local news with details on transport bus services reducing routes. Portia then goes over entertainment news with details on tonight's open mic at the atrium at the Alley Cat.
0: Kira McKinley then reports on environmental news with updates on Denver's air quality.
1: Then, Portia sits down with Nick Sweeten, the Associate Executive Director of Housing and Dining Services, in a two-part interview to discuss the high demand for on-campus housing this fall 2022 semester. We will also hear from incoming freshman and engineering major Julian Gordon and his parents, Michael and Sherry Gordon, about their experience being assigned to temporary housing at the Best Western Inn.
0: After that, Kira McKinley goes over national news and how a young student was dress-coded for wearing a hijab. Then, Eliza Droder goes over updates in CSU sports, including details on how to get your student tickets. To conclude today's show, I take a look at what Fort Collins has in store for the weather this
1: week. Let's move right into campus and local news. This is Kira McKinley reporting your campus news for Tuesday, August 23rd. CSU has joined a research institute known as the Verona Biology Integration Institute, which has recently received a $12 million NSF grant. This institute will, quote, advance research and education around viral emergence, the process of viruses jumping from animals to human, end quote. According to The Collegian, one of CSU staff members that are a part of the Verona Institute, Dr. Anna Fargar, is currently researching bats' roles in the transmission of mosquito-borne illnesses. Another research study by CSU members of the Verona Institute is one that looks at climate change's role in viral emergence. In other news, CSU is seeing an increase in on-campus housing demand from 2022 to 2023 freshmen and transfer students. CSU Source News claims that this is due to a number of reasons, such as an increase in admissions, the pandemic, and a low melt rate, which is when potential students who originally were interested in attending CSU then decided to go in a different direction. Also, a dorm on campus that is closed for the year for renovations. Due to all of these factors, CSU now has more students to house than they actually can Due to all of these factors, CSU now has more students to house than they actually can. So the school is accommodating these extra students by putting them in temporary housing. Some students are staying in lounges of dorms that have been converted into temporary living spaces, while some students are now living at the Best Western. For more information on the CSU housing crisis, stay tuned. As later in the program, Portia Cook will interview CSU faculty members and parents and students to get more information on this story. Thank you for listening to my CSU Campus News Updates. I'm Kira McKinley and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU. Here's Portia Cook with your local news updates.
0: Transport, the city of Fort Collins bus service agency, is reducing routes again due to staffing shortages. On August 15th, around a dozen routes were suspended with some operating at a modified frequency. According to Molly Bohannon of the Coloradoan, the reduction of routes comes as Transport, like other companies throughout the pandemic, continue to struggle with hiring and staff retention. Transport Director Drew Brooks told the Coloradoan, quote, we're losing most people within the first six months. Typically, we're hiring people just to find other jobs, end quote. The agency would need a minimum of 108 bus operators to be fully staffed. As of August 18th, the agency had 85 bus operators on staff. The last time the agency was fully staffed was between 2018 and 2019, according to Molly Bohannon of the Coloradoan. To help with hiring additional staff, Transport is looking to increase pay in hopes of becoming more competitive with alternative transportation agencies like RTD. The starting pay for a Transport operator is $22.50 per hour. Transport hopes to raise the starting salary closer to $24 per hour while also adding benefits to its lower-level positions. Since 2020, all trips continue to be accessible at no cost for all passengers, with the City of Fort Collins also offering on-demand taxi service for all suspended routes. The -the on-the-go taxi service allows residents to schedule a trip to and from a bus stop along a suspended route to a linked bus stop or transit center. On-demand trips must be scheduled the same day as the trip and are available Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. and Saturday and Sunday from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. The on-demand trips can be made by calling 970-255-4831. Specific information on suspended or modified routes can be found by visiting ridetransport.com ridealerts. A Fort Collins Farm project is helping immigrant and refugee women improve their employability skills and self-confidence through farming. The Hispanic Women's Farming Proyecto is a three-year-old nonprofit located at Buena Vida Farms just west of Windsor and was founded by Mary Lou Smith. Smith is a retired policy and collaboration specialist for the Colorado Water Institute at Colorado State University, according to Pat Ferrier at The Coloradoan. About a half a dozen women are accepted into the program each growing season and receive a $5,000 scholarship to aid in their learning. Smith, with her connection to the university, utilizes experts from CSU to help teach the women about soil, soil and plant health, irrigation, and food safety. Smith also aims to educate the participants on agriculture, marketing, grant writing, and business while they sell and grow their own vegetables. The farm supplies the participants with land, water, and equipment while grants and community donation funds help pay for scholarships, transplants, and seeds. Each participant plants, tends to and harvests crops from start to finish and keep all proceeds from crop sales. Each participant can decide to stay in the program for multiple growing seasons and will receive an agricultural practitioner certificate of completion when they leave. Rebecca, a current Practo Project Farming member, told the Coloradoan she will stay in the project for as long as she can, saying, quote, "I've learned a lot about farming, agriculture, the health of soil, how to prepare the soil and plant seeds." This was a way to earn additional money and learn something as well, end quote. Today, Morning Fresh Dairy buys various vegetables from Proyecto, selling between 25 and 30 veggie bundles to its customers weekly. Each bundle contains a variety of up to five different vegetables that were harvested that week. Additional information on the Hispanic Women's Farming Proyecto and how to support their efforts can be found at BuenaVitaFarm.com slash Proyecto.
2: If you are a current CSU student and would like to be a part of KCSU FM, go to kcsufm.com backslash training to be a live DJ, podcaster, or reporter. This is 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.
0: I'm Portia Cook reporting your music and entertainment news. The atrium at the Alley Cat will be filled with the sound of live music during this evening's open mic night. Brought back by popular demand, this 21 and up event welcomes performances in various categories, including music, comedy, spoken word, and more. Venue owner Mike Hunter said, quote, We've had some people do comedy or spoken word, but it ends up being mainly music. We are open to almost any type of performance, End quote. The atrium at the Alley Cat is located off Laurel Street in Old Town and is a food, kombucha, beer, and sake bar. The venue offers a variety of events, including a live band every Friday night, a DJ spinning house tunes every Thursday and an open mic night every Tuesday. Tonight's open mic night will start at 7 o'clock p.m. and is held in the new atrium downstairs of the venue. Anyone interested in being a part of tonight's open mic night must sign up beforehand. An in-person sign-up sheet will be available in the atrium starting at 5.30 p.m. The Fort Collins Museum of Discovery is featuring a unique food and climate change exhibition. The Food for Thought microview of sustenance, threats, and prospects offers a micro perspective on the connection between the food we eat and climate change. The exhibition features an array of photo montages created by Robert Dash and, and is used to aid in examining issues related to climate change and the threat to staple food items while offering a hopeful perspective surrounding the issue of climate change. According to Visit Fort Collins, the subjects of Dash's images were found in the San Juan Islands and Washington area. Dash was granted permission to use the Friday Harbor's lab electron microscope from the University of Washington for these images. Robert Dash is a nationalist, educator, and photographer published by the National Geographic, Time, BuzzFeed, and Lenswork. He is also the voice behind the TED Talk, The Intercourse of Nature, It's What We Are. The exhibition is presented bilingually and can be seen Thursday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. until September 4th. Original reporting for today's music entertainment and event news was done by KCSU's news director. Original reporting for today's music entertainment and event news was done by KCSU News Director Portia Cook.
3: Yo, it's Briggy Smalls, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU 4 Collins. Peace.
1: If you haven't seen any bears yet in Colorado this season, don't give up hope yet. The Denver Post said that Colorado Parks and Wildlife claim that bear activity will increase in the upcoming weeks. Quote, hypergia is the increased feeding activity in bears that happens in the late summer and early fall before hibernation. In this, bears will spend up to 20 hours a day trying to eat more than 20,000 calories to fatten up for the winter, end quote, said the Denver Post. So especially if you're planning on spending some time up in the mountains during the next couple weeks, make sure to be on the lookout for some very cute, but maybe not so friendly bears. In other news, the EPA is expected to declare Denver's air quality as severe, according to the Denver Post. This declaration will soon require Denver motorists to start using reformulated gas that will lower car emissions. While this declaration looms over the state, the Regional Air Quality Council is writing up a plan that will bring the state's air quality back up and move the state's standards towards national air quality standards. In other environmental news, China is seeing below average rain levels and heat waves, which has led the nation to declare a nationwide drought for the first time in nine years. It is declared a yellow level drought, which is the nation's third highest rank on their four scale system, according to CNN. Up next, Portia sits down with Nick Sweden, the Associate Executive Director of Housing and Dining Services, and Interim Director of University Housing, in a two-part interview to discuss the high demand for on-campus housing this fall 2022 semester.
0: Whether you're a returning student or transitioning to college for the first time, moving into a residence hall or dorm room can be an exhilarating time. For some Colorado State University students, however, their move to college this fall looks a bit different. Last week, around 140 students moved into Fort Collins' Best Western University Inn with the remaining students assigned to temporary housing spaces within housing facilities across campus. In this two-part interview, Nick Sweeten, the Associate Executive Director of Housing and Dining Services and Interim Director of University Housing, talks to us about the high demand for on-campus housing for the fall 2022 semester and what life will look like for the students placed in temporary housing. We will also hear from incoming freshman and engineering major Julian Gordon and his parents, Michael and Sherry Gordon, about their experience being placed in temporary housing at the Best Western University Inn. Nick, thank you so much for being here. Now, roughly four to five hundred students will start the fall 2022 semester in temporary housing. What is the reasoning behind the high number of requests for on-campus housing this fall and the hundreds of students receiving a temporary housing assignment?
2: Sure. So there's a couple of different things happening, and these relate to trends that are different this year relative to past years. So we didn't expect to see some of the trend lines we're seeing this year. One of the things that is contributing to this is fewer students than normal. It's basically students we think are coming to CSU, but then at some point prior to move in, say, actually, you know, I'm going to, I changed my mind, I'm going to go somewhere else. And so our melt rate has been lower than past years. The other thing we're seeing is fewer students within the exemption radius. So students who live within 30 miles of campus, a 30 mile radius of campus, can apply to be exempted from the live on requirement. We're seeing fewer students in that radius apply relative to past years apply, to apply for an exemption. And so more of those students that live closer to campus want to live on campus than we've seen in past years. And so we've actually, because of our demand, we've extended our exemption radius another 10 miles to 40 miles, but we've still had very few takers. We interpret that as a good sign. I mean, students want to come to CSU and want to live on campus, but we're just seeing larger numbers of students in that exemption radius opt to live on campus than than we've expected based on the numbers that have asked for an exemption in past years. The other big contributor is uh, Westfall Hall will be offline most of the year there's a renovation project occurring in Westfall Hall. And, you know, when when big facilities projects are planned, they're planned a year plus in advance. And, you know, we didn't know at the time that we were going to see a surge in interest in living on campus. And so if we were to backtrack and keep Westfall Hall open, the financial repercussions would be too great because, you know, contractors have been hired, materials have been ordered, et cetera. And the only way that we could make up that money would be to charge students more rent and we just don't wanna do that. And so we are proceeding with our plan to have Westfall offline starting October 1st, but that means about 400 beds are offline that otherwise would be online. And that also is contributing to our need to put more students in temporary housing.
0: Talk to me about the process for applying for student housing and the confusion around why on-campus housing requests were accepted even after the university may have reached its capacity for housing requests.
2: We are obligated to house all first-time, full-time freshmen. So because of that mandate, we continue to accept applications from that part of our application pool as they come in. So we won't shut off the ability for incoming freshmen to apply. We did, however, earlier in our application cycle, turn off our application for all other applicants. So we have fewer transfer students that will be living on campus than we would expect, and fewer grad students, fewer families, etc. And that is to make room for the large number of freshmen that are coming in that we are mandated to house.
0: Are the students being placed in temporary housing first-year freshman students, or are there a variety of classes being temporarily
2: housed? they're either all or almost all freshmen and most of the students in temporary housing fall in two categories they're either later applicants so you know applied later in our application cycle and so when they when self-assigned open they had a later self-assigned date and by the time they their date came up we had already filled all of our permanent spaces there's also a number of students in the process who were invited to self-assign but who never engaged. So there's a, there's a group of students who, because they didn't go in and pick a room when they were able to pick a room, you know, are now in a situation where they will also be in, uh, in a temporary space.
0: Now, Nick, talk to me about the mindset behind the decision to place incoming first-year students in temporary housing versus, say, upper-class individuals who may be a little bit more acclimated to college life.
2: Most but not all, but most of our upper class uh, students live in apartments like um um Lodgepole, Cottonwood, Walnut, um, or if they're or, or international house, or if they're grads or families in University Village or or Aggie family. So the population of upper class students who picked a room to live on campus, uh live in a residence hall versus an apartment, is fairly is a fairly small part of our population. You know, in order to put them in temporary housing, we would have to essentially terminate the agreement we had with them when they picked a room in the spring. And so we just don't feel comfortable doing that. You know, they they went through their process. They went through our selection process as we unfolded it. They did what they were supposed to do. And it just didn't feel right to, you know, a few months later be like, just kidding. We're going to put you in this temporary space. So that's why. But it is a, it is a small part of our res hall population.
0: Let's talk about housing fees. What will the cost of living be for students placed in temporary
2: housing versus on-campus residency halls? So students in temp housing pay our lowest rate, and that's regardless of where they are. And so our lowest rate is the community bath style double. And then when they move into a permanent space, if they go into a space where the rate is higher, the rate is adjusted, but only effective at the date that they move into that new space.
0: Now, with approximately 140 students being temporarily housed in the University Best Western Inn, where will the remaining 250 to 350 students be placed?
2: So we have some identified overflow spaces in places like Allison, Newsom. For example, we have some lounges that we can convert into temporary housing. So some students will be in those spaces. We have some spaces that we designate as emergency rooms. And so emergency rooms are when we have a situation, maybe, you know, late at night when there's not a ton of resources available to quickly attend to the situation. We may put a student in an emergency space so that they can be safe and and to give us time to resolve whatever situation is occurring. We have more emergency spaces designated than we've ever needed, and some but not all of our emergency spaces have been converted into temporary spaces as well. And then we will be using three to four floors of Westfall before it goes offline on October 1st as overflow space as well. And the students placed in Westfall will be the first students moved out to permanent housing when it becomes available.
0: Nick, let's talk a little bit more about the on-campus emergency housing. Paint a picture for me of what the setup of these emergency and lounge spaces will look like.
2: So it's actually pretty similar to a residence hall room. I mean, students largely have the same type of amenities in those spaces they have in residence hall rooms. There's a little variation, but of course they're going to have a bed, a place to put their clothes, that kind of thing. A lot of our emergency spaces are on floors with other residents and so they would at least temporarily be part of an existing floor community there will still be an ra that is there to support them hall staff that's there to support them etc so other than their space being temporary it is very similar to the experience that students in permanent spaces go to there's a couple spaces where students won't have a roommate if they're in a temp space but the majority of our temp spaces, the significant majority, they will have a roommate. And so it's just like living in a residence hall room. Like you'll have your roommate, you'll each have your own bed, your own place to store clothes, that kind of thing. Of course, there's like a lockable door, that kind of thing. And again, it's, it, it is really similar to a permanent assignment, except for the fact that they will have to move to a permanent space once one becomes available.
0: Now let's talk about the students being housed in the university's Best Western Inn. According to Bill Summey, the hotel's general manager and director of sales, the hotel is housing approximately 140 students within 69 rooms, most of these being double occupancy rooms with a handful of larger suites that can accommodate three to four students at a time. Now I was able to step inside one of these double occupancy rooms and the room appeared to be a standard double bed hotel room that included two full-size beds, one shared desk, one shared nightstand, a shared private bathroom with a standing shower and bathtub, two separate sinks, one shared closet space, one shared three-drawer dresser, an under-window air conditioning unit, one microwave, and one mini refrigerator. Yeah,
2: as you said, most students will be getting a double room. And there are some rooms that only had a king bed. And our facility staff has gone through, removed the king bed and put in two you know double beds or you know, pushed the king bed to one side of the room and added another bed in. So students will, of course, have their own bed. There's a small number of suites that are larger spaces. And as you alluded to, it's a really small number, I think maybe three or four at the most. But in those spaces, they'll either be tripled or quads, depending on how big the space is. Those are the nice rooms. Those are the suites. Single gender, unless somebody on their housing application either requested a, a different gender roommate or if you have a desired roommate that has a different gender identity, you will of course let you live together. And so there may be a handful of situations like that. But by and large, it will be students with the same gender identity.
0: Now, aside from the rooms, what hotel amenities such as the pool and the exercise facility will the students have access to?
2: They will not have access to the pool or the weight room at the Best Western. Of course, they will be able to go to the rec center to, to facilitate those. But the Best Western will provide a weekly laundering service for the bed sheets and, and things like that. And so they'll still have those services. And then the Best Western will also, I mean, they have a 24-hour front desk. And so if there are any needs the students have that are like Western specific, their air conditioning stopped working or, you know, whatever, there's a funny smell in their carpet or whatever it is, they'll be able to engage with the best Western staff 24-7 to get those needs attended to.
0: Now, whether they are in a hotel or on-campus emergency housing, such as the lounges, what is being done to provide for and support students who may be in need of living and transportation accommodations or
2: modifications? They will go through the same process as any student in a permanent space go through to get an accommodation. And so you have spaces set aside for students with different abilities or different needs. And so most of the students who have mobility impairments or things like that, they're still, regardless of when they applied, most of them are still going to be in permanent space because they will have gotten an accommodation through the appropriate channels to to get that accommodation. If we do have students in a temporary space that uh, need some form of accommodation, we do work closely with SDPS offices and other resources on campus to make sure that the students are supported in the way they need to be supported and that their chances of success are just as great in a temp space as they would be in a permanent space.
0: What steps are being taken to ensure the same safety and security measures provided on campus are also being given to students in temporary housing?
2: We will have a staff member on site staying overnight every night at the best Western to ensure community safety, ensure that students have a resource or, or someone connected with CSU that they can connect with as you know urgent situations occur, they have questions or problems. Colorado State University Police is also going to be including the best Western on their rounds, so they'll be present in the community as well. And the students at the best Western will have the same access to Resources, including safety resources, as students right across the street on campus will have. While we have students in the Best Western, it will only be students at the Best Western. So there will be no other hotel guests even. So even as we empty it out and more of those spaces become available to the hotel, they won't be renting them out to non-CSU guests until we're completely out. Similar to how like when you go into a residence hall, like you don't have to show your ID every time you go into a hall or anything like that. The same thing will apply at the Best Western. But what we see happen in our communities is is students like quickly know who's there and who's supposed to be there and not. And so if a student does see somebody like, I don't think they're supposed to be here, they can do just like they do in the residence halls, report that to staff. They can call police. Gauge hotel staff, that kind of thing. And then those resources would figure out what's going on, could approach somebody to ask them to show them ID, that kind of thing. So from a safety security perspective, it's similar to being in a residence hall. The staff support is there, the CSUPD support is there, et cetera. It's just across the street from campus versus right on campus.
0: Is there a guest policy for students staying at the hotel and how will the guest policy protocols be implemented?
2: So it's the same rules that apply to any other student. So, so take, for example, guest policy. Whether you're in a temporary room in the Best Western or you're in a temporary room in any other residence hall on campus, policy is if you want to have a guest, your roommate has to be okay with it. You know, that kind of thing. Those rules all still apply. The same, the same sets of rules apply in temp spaces.
0: Now, Nick, you mentioned one CSU staff member will be staying on site at the hotel. Is one staff member enough to accommodate the
2: needs of roughly 140 students? Well, one person will be living on site, but we have other staff that will be supporting the student on site. So we have, for example, another staff member who's charged with developing community for students in temporary spaces who will be a frequent presence uh, over at the Best Western. And so just because this one person staying overnight doesn't mean there's not other staff that will be present and available during other times of the day as well.
0: What is the role of not only the CSU employee who will be housed on site at the hotel, but also the additional CSU support staff?
2: Yeah, great question. So they are going to be a connection to resources. They'll be charged with getting to know the community, connecting students to programs, social opportunities, answering questions, making sure they know where to go, particularly over at the Best Western, you know, it is across the street from campus. And so one of the problems we were thinking through is, you know, the students over there are going to have a meal plan, just like students on campus, but they're a little farther away from our dining halls than on-campus students are. And so they may need to know, well, where can I go to use my meal plan? Or that kind of thing. And so that per- the, the staff over there will help make sure the students understand how they can use their meal plan, how they can connect to services, opportunities on campus, that kind of thing.
0: Are there any type of courtesy gifts being offered to students being placed in temporary housing?
2: We are giving all the students in temp rooms, they're going to get like a special um, package. And we know it doesn't really make up for the inconvenience of being in a temporary space. But we do hope it's at least a nice touch that will help the students feel welcome and valued and we just want to honor the fact that being in a temporary space isn't ideal and so we hope it's just a nice flourish a nice touch for them the other thing we're doing um currently this year is when students move from temporary to permanent we will be providing free moving assistance to them typically past years in most circumstances we don't provide moving assistance after moving week but this year we felt it was important to provide that because there's so many students in this situation I should also mention that students in the best restaurant, we are going to give them extra RAM cash. And the reason we're doing that is because we do recognize it is farther from our dining halls than students in the rest of the uh, living arrangements are. And so our hope is that that extra RAM cash, they'll be able to go to places like the Lori Student Center and use that RAM cash there because it may be more convenient for them, for example, to grab their breakfast at the Lori Student Center, you know, on their way to or from class than to, than to go to, like, you know, the Foundry or to the Braden Dining Hall, which would be the next closest places.
0: Nick, thank you again for being here. If you are just tuning in, I am Portia Cook, and you are listening to a two-part interview with myself and Nick Sweet, and the Associate Executive Director of Housing and Dining Services and Interim Director of University Housing, as we go over the high demand for on-campus housing this fall 2022 semester and what life will look like for the students placed in temporary housing. Up next, you will hear from Nick about what CSU is doing to try and duplicate the college experience for students in temporary housing, the steps the university is taking to get students placed back in permanent housing, a look at housing for future semesters, and where students and family can go to for support. Stay tuned because we will also hear from incoming freshman and engineering major, Julian Gordon and his parents, Michael and Sherry Gordon, about their experience being placed in temporary housing at the Best Westerns University Inn. If you have missed any part of today's interview, you can listen again by going to kcsufm.com. Well, you'll find the Rocky Mountain review under news or podcasts. You can also find us on Spotify or anywhere else you listen to your podcast by searching KCSU News. We'll be right back.
4: Todd Parkmore.
5: And I'm Rob Squires. And we're from Big Head Todd and the Monsters, and you're listening to KCSU, Colorado's best radio station.
0: Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am Portia Cook, and you are listening to a two-part interview with myself and Nick Sweeten, the Associate Executive Director of Housing and Dining Services and Interim Director of University Housing, as we speak about the high demand for on-campus housing this fall 2022 semester and what life will look like for the students placed in temporary housing. Stay tuned because we will also hear from incoming freshman and engineering major Julian Gordon and his parents, Michael and Sherry Gordon, about their experience being placed in temporary housing at the Best Western University Inn. If you have missed any part of today's interview, you can listen again by going to kcsufm.com where you'll find the Rocky Mountain Review under news or podcasts. You can also find us on Spotify or anywhere else you listen to your podcast by searching KCSU News. Now Nick, a large part of a student's college experience comes from living in residence halls. Talk to me about what steps are being taken to duplicate the experience one would typically get on campus for those being placed in temporary housing.
2: Well, the students in the spaces, except for Westfall and the Best Western, they'll have an RA that's assigned to them. So they'll have the same access to staff and opportunities as the other students. Students though in Westfall and in the Best Western, we've developed a different model to support those students. So we do have staff that are tasked specifically for community development with students in temp spaces, but they're mostly focusing on Westfall and the hotel. And so there's already a menu of programs that are going to occur for those students that are designed to help them get to know each other, keep them connected to campus, provide them with a great experience. One of the things also that we've heard feedback from other students who've been in temporary housing in years past is some of them have liked the the opportunity they've had to develop two groups of friends. And so we've had some of the students say, I had my friends that I met in temp housing. And even after we got permanent spaces, we might've been in different places across campus. It was actually kind of fun to have like this group of friends I met right at the outset, we had this temp experience together. And then I went to my permanent community and I've met a group of people there. And then I was able to merge my friend groups and things like that. And so we're kind of building structures to enable those connections to happen, but also to continue those relationships after they've left temporary housing. And so we hope for some students that that's actually kind of a net benefit, that it'll enable them to meet even more people. Because most freshmen who live on campus, their friend group consists of the people that live near them. And so, so we just want to leverage that advantage and say you're going to have access to two different groups of people that you live near, and we want you to just continue to hold those relationships and build them. It's not ideal to be to be in a temporary space. The reason that we are mandated to house freshmen and that we you know are doing all of this even with the temporary situation to house freshmen is because they're permanent or temporary, living on campus and living with peers is a top indicator to, of student success. So we know that across all class years, students who live on campus have higher average GPAs, higher average semester to semester retention, higher four and six year graduation rates, and that's regardless of temporary or permanent. And so even though a temporary uh, space is not ideal, it is still a key ingredient to those key performance indicators you know, related to retention GPA and eventual graduation. And so so that's why we do it is because it still is important to have that experience, to live amongst peers in the same life phase, going through the same thing that you are. And so we provide that in both temporary and permanent spaces. And as I said earlier this year, we're going to do that, provide a little extra support so that the students in the temp spaces can carry through with those relationships and friendships they formed while they were in that temporary phase after they've moved on to a permanent phase because those peer relationships are just so important.
0: Now Nick, when do you anticipate
2: students will be placed back into permanent on-campus housing? We can't guarantee a specific amount of time. We do have lots of data from past years and we're quite confident that all the students placed in Westfall will be able to get them into permanent spaces by October 1st. Past that, there's going to depend on a number of variables. So the first variable is every year we have what we call no shows. So People who every indicator says they're coming to, to CSU, they're gonna live on campus, they've signed up for housing, they've signed up for classes, et cetera. But then every year we have some number of students that just don't show up. Who basically ghost us. And most of them end up going to another school and just never told us. So we'll have we'll have no shows. Starting that first week of classes, we'll be immediately putting students in temp spaces and moving them into the spaces where we know no shows came. And then in the first 6 weeks of the academic year we also have attrition of people who did move in but who get here and you know they they figure out you know CSU is just not for me or this isn't what I thought it would be or or that kind of thing and so we also have some students who do move in but then who end up leaving CSU in the first 6 weeks and so based on historical numbers we're we're, we're comfortable that um The majority of our students in temp houses will most likely, not guaranteed, but most likely be in um, permanent spaces probably by the middle to end of October. But given the large number of students in temp spaces this year, it's quite possible that some percentage of those students will be in a temp space for the entire fall semester maybe the entire academic year. It depends.
0: What will the process look like for returning students in temporary housing back to permanent housing?
2: So when we have spaces open, we look at the students in temp housing, and we do our best to match their application preferences with the permanent space preference. So as an example, we have a permanent space open up in Summit. We will look through all the students in temp housing and say, these students you know, have Summit as one of their like top two or three choices of places they want to live. And so the student in that group would be offered that space in Summit and they'd be able to move. And so we do attempt to assign students based on the preferences cited in their application. There's several variables that are looked at. The most important is the stated preference on the application. But as an example, let's say that that we have two people who are temp roommates and they really like each other and they really want to continue to be roommates. We can't guarantee that we'll be able to find a completely open space to house them, but we will try. So let's say we get to a student and a space in Summit is open. We have one single space and we have like, you know, two different students who are good candidates for that space based on their preferences. But one of those two students has expressed they'd really like to stay with their temporary mate if it's possible we probably would in that scenario offer it to the other person because we're going to try to meet the need of the student who wants to stay with a particular roommate if we possibly can now we we may get to a point in our permanent assignment where we just know we're not going to be able to accommodate that and we will separate the roommates but we were going to do everything we can to try to so we we do keep those variables in mind as we um as we assign temp spaces the other thing we keep in mind is We know that some students financially, you know, they just don't want a more expensive uh, place. And so we take that into account as well. We don't want to put students in a more expensive place that they either may not uh, be able to afford or may not just wish to spend that amount of money and want to stay in a lower price place. And so those variables are taken into into mind too. So there's not like, you know, it's always the, you know, the first person in the pool that with the earliest application date that gets assigned or, you know, it's based on a number of variables, but it's all geared towards meeting as many of the stated preferences as we possibly can.
0: What steps is the university taking to ensure a housing situation like this doesn't happen in future semesters?
2: One is we continually study our data. And so what caught us up guard this year was our melt rate being very low and our exemption numbers being a lot lower than past year so that the people in that exemption radius, the percentage of the pool that typically applies to be exempt from on-campus housing, And so, so this is like a new set of data that we can look at in future years. And now we have this like 2022 benchmark. And and as future application processes are unfolding, if we start to see like, oh, it's looking close to like 2020, earlier in the application cycle, we can decrease the number of returning students that we, you know, allow to remain in the residence halls in order to accommodate a larger first year class. So we'll take, we take into account that there's new pieces of information that we learned as a part of going through this process. We also work closely with admissions and we just want to take stock of everything we've learned this year. And are there any lessons learned that we can apply to future cycles? Should we start to expect, it's just, it's just kind of a new reality. I don't know if it's like a post-pandemic reality or just a new generation of students coming in where more of them in that exemption radius are going to want to live on campus and want that traditional like residential experience. And so if we start to detect there's just generational differences and what to expect, we will apply that in our, in our decision making rubric and navigate as best we can to, to avoid a situation where, you know, this many students are in, in temporary housing. We also keep it in mind, you know, we have Westfall coming offline this year. There will, of course, be future years where we need to take facilities offline because we need to do renovations or modernizing or that kind of thing. And we do use what we think is going to happen um, with enrollment in future years as we make decisions about which buildings to close and when. And so we'll continue to pay attention to these new trends that are unfolding and, and work to understand, like, what does this mean for, you know, 2026 or 2027 as we look to continually modernize more of our facilities.
0: Now, Nick, do you foresee additional on-campus student housing being built for future semesters?
2: You know, so right before the pandemic, we were going to build Meridian Village. I think they're using it for a parking lot now, like right across from Newsom. And then Newsom Hall was going to be torn down as phase two of Meridian Village. And so, of course, the financial impact of the, of the pandemic was pretty significant. And so our finances are not in the same space that they were at that point. But we are looking at What are we expecting for future enrollment projections? Looking at sort of what are the expectations of students in terms of the environments they're housed in and and things like that. And using that information to make decisions about, you know, do we build new? Is it better to renovate more halls? Because typically we can touch more bed spaces per dollar when we renovate versus building new. And so we take all that into account when we're thinking about that. There's some trend lines across higher education. There's words like enrollment cliff. So basically, the number of students graduated from high school in the mid-2020s going to drop, and in many states, fairly significantly. And so theoretically, the demand for higher education is going to decrease in the middle to later parts of this decade. However, in Colorado, we're in a little bit different of, an, of a of a place, and it's looking more like an enrollment plateau where it's not going to grow significantly, but it's also not going to shrink like it is in other states. So we want to keep track of those trends and see, is that playing out like we thought it would, and then use what we see to inform decisions about, you know, do we build new, do we renovate more of our halls, that kind of thing.
0: Even without the addition of being placed in temporary housing, the life-changing transition to college can be overwhelming. Where can students go or who can they contact for support during this time?
2: Yeah, I mean, same thing you do if you're in a permanent spot. Talk to the staff in the facility, call the desk, use the campus resources. The, you know, the SDPS offices, the counseling center offices like that, they're great at supporting students. And so definitely suggest that, you know, students connect with the, with the offices that can meet their needs. And, you know, as I said earlier, the most important thing is, is if you have a need or or something's going on that you need help with, express it, let us know. We truly want to help everybody. And that's regardless of if you're in a permanent or temporary spot.
0: Nick, are there any final words that you have for our listeners today?
2: We are looking so forward to welcoming all the new Rams as we do every year. I think it's a really good indication that we have such interest in coming to CSU and living on campus. I mean, it means that we're providing the experience that students want. And so we're, we're so grateful that so many people are interested. I mean, and that so many people want to be a RAM. And so we want to do everything we can to support everybody to help them be successful to help them feel connected to each other and to this great university and so as i've said a couple times throughout this interview if you have a need we're not meeting please let us know we want to do everything we can to to ensure everybody's successful and everybody's having a good time.
0: Nick, thank you again for being here. If you are just tuning in, that was an interview with Nick Sweetin, the Associate Executive Director of Housing and Dining Services and Interim Director of University Housing, speaking about the high demand for on-campus housing this fall of 2022 semester and what life looks like for the students placed in temporary housing. We will now hear from incoming freshman and engineering major Julian Gordon and his parents, Michael and Sherry Gordon, about their experience being placed in temporary housing at the Best Westerns University Inn. Julian, what was your initial reaction and what were your thoughts when you found out you were going to be temporarily housed in a hotel?
6: Uh, it was kind of a shock, but I was kind of happy at the same time because I, I found out there was AC and a lot of the dorms here don't have AC. And I guess we get like room service every Saturday, which is, which is pretty good. And they got like a... Uh, a microwave and a fridge in there so it's pretty good.
0: Michael and Sherry talk to me about your initial reactions and thoughts when you found out Julian would be temporarily housed within the Best Western University Inn.
5: Initially I was a little concerned with it being a hotel but then we did call the school and when they said it would be 100 percent students with RAs there as well as security and I think police trafficking through there as well my concern was eased quite a bit.
0: Now, Julian, what are your biggest concerns with being assigned to temporary off-campus
6: housing? Just having to move all my stuff into the dorm, maybe in the few months. Other than that, I'm pretty happy where I am right now.
0: Now, Julian, talk to me about how the communication and support from the university has been so far.
6: I haven't really gotten any other emails. Um, I haven't really talked to anybody else. We just moved in and settled ourselves in. We didn't have like a list or we didn't really know what the rooms looked like at all. We didn't get any pictures sent to us we don't really know like the floor plan or the layout so
0: julian now that you're settled in what are your thoughts on your room
6: like i feel pretty lucky because a lot of the other students don't have an ac or a fridge or, or a microwave in their dorm so i feel pretty lucky
0: now michael and sherry as parents talk to me about your biggest concerns with julian being temporarily assigned to off-campus housing
4: number one for us is safety um and just Feeling as we're dropping our son off because we're in Arizona, we've got to travel here by plane. That uh, he's in an environment where he's going to be safe. The community seems like it's in an area that's uh, relatively safe. That's probably our number one concern. On top of um, making sure that he's in an environment where he can socialize. So, so that's that's kind of that's kind of how we feel right now.
5: Right now, I don't have a lot of concerns, um, but I guess if I really were to think about it, one could be is the socialization piece and making sure that they're being a part of the community. But we did have a meeting in the lobby where the housing um, and one of the RAs came over, and so they're really trying to be inclusive and get the group of kids that are housed at the Best Western um, all the support that they need and making sure that they feel inclusive and part of the community. And so they will be meeting in the lobby, and going over to over to the school. How do you feel about the communication and
0: the support the university has offered so far?
5: Yeah I feel the support is there and it's something you have to seek out right if you have questions you you have to seek it out Um, but when you do that you are uh, very much supported so I don't know that there was a, a a lot of outgoing support except for as Julian said through his portal, but to the parents, there was not a lot of communication. But again, everything went very smoothly as far as checking in, getting him in there. We had a nice welcome. They had a nice gift bag and everything. So right now we're very happy and very pleased, and he's already made some friends.
0: What gifts were included in the welcome bag?
5: It had a nice blanket. There was a, what else was in there? A T-shirt, a really nice uh, uh, mug that he could take on the go, and some coupons and stickers. the good the Good things like that.
0: In terms of support, what would you like
4: to see from the university going forward? Just a continued engagement. Again, he's a young adult now, so the majority of the communication that's taken place is going through him and his portal. So just being able to know and understand that a communication structure is in place for him to be able to get the information that he needs in order to make uh, good decisions on what needs to happen with his living uh, situation or with his classes and as long as uh, we have a good communication with him obviously as his parents he's getting the communication he needs i think will be will be pretty comfortable
0: is there anything else you would like our listeners to know
4: again it's, it's always a little different when uh, it, it doesn't go sort of uh, as one would expect moving into a dorm the hotel experience has been relatively good he's happy which is the most important thing He's got his air conditioning, which I think has been like the number one thing on young people's minds is there's air conditioning. So that seems to be the big, big uh, uh, important piece of moving in. So he's happy. Mom is happy. I'm happy. That's what uh, and that's what matters most here right now. So I, I think we're all in a good situation.
0: Julian, Sherry, Michael, thank you all so much. If you are just tuning in, that was an interview with incoming freshman and engineering major Julian Gordon and his parents, Michael and Sherry Gordon, about their experience being assigned to temporary housing at the Best Westerns University Inn. If you happen to miss any part of today's interview, you can listen again by heading to kcsufm.com where you'll find the Rocky Mountain Review under News or Podcasts. You can also find us on Spotify or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts by searching KCSU News. We'll be right back with your national news after the break.
1: In national news, an eighth grader at Mystic Valley Regional Charter School in Massachusetts was dress coded for wearing a hijab. The student was sent home with a dress code violation letter claimed... The student was sent home with a dress code violation letter that claimed they were being dress coded for wearing the hijab, according to NBC News. The school is now claiming that the letter was merely meant to inform the student that they need to open the conversation on her, quote, obtaining a religious accommodation. The school superintendent has come forward and said that the situation could have been handled better. A missing person search is now underway at Zion National Park, as a grad student within the area has gone missing. The grad student was hiking with her friends in the park when they heard of a potential flash flood within the area, according to NBC News. While her friends decided to stay behind, she proceeded into the narrows of the park. She intended to meet up with her friends at the visitor center, but never did. Officials are now searching for the grad student. The narrows of the park are closed while this search is underway. In other news, a minor has contracted monkeypox for the first time in the state of New York. There has been previous There has been two previous cases of monkeypox in children. At this point in time, none of them are believed to be related. Officials are looking into how the child contracted monkeypox. The monkeypox vaccine has now been made available for children, according to CNN. New York has also welcomed 140 new asylum seekers from Texas, making this their biggest welcome in a single day, according to CNN. Texas has already bussed 7,000 immigrants to Washington, D.C. since April. Texas Governor Greg Abbott said in a CNN article that the busing mission is providing much-needed relief in our overwhelmed border communities. Up next is
3: Eliza Drotar with your RMR Sports Report. Welcome back students. This is Eliza Drotar for your RMR Sports Report. In women's soccer news, the team is starting at one and one, winning against Utah Tech on Thursday the eighteenth, two to one, and losing on Sunday three to zero against Utah. CSU Women's Volleyball is right around the corner with their first game happening on Friday, August 26th here in Fort Collins against North Carolina It's start a six-game homestand to end out August and to begin September. Student tickets are now on sale. If you are interested, go to csurams.evenue.net to get your student tickets for basketball, volleyball, and every other sport that will be happening this fall and spring. And if you are looking forward to football just like I am, be ready for September 3rd, where the first game of the season under new head coach Jay Norvell will begin and take place at 10 a.m. at Michigan in Ann Arbor. Also on September 3rd, there will be a cross-country meet to the Wyoming Invite in Cheyenne, Wyoming. My name is Eliza Drozier. This has been your RMR Sports Report.
0: Hi, I'm Portia Cook with your Fort Collins weather forecast for today, Tuesday, August 23rd. Today was warm and partly cloudy with scattered thunderstorms and temperatures in the high 80s. Wednesday, expect partly cloudy skies with a high of 89 and a low of 60. Thursday continues with partly cloudy skies and scattered thunderstorms with temperatures in the mid-80s. Throughout the week, you can expect low to moderate winds and stray showers. And for Friday's weather, you can tune in for the next episode of the Rocky Mountain Review, only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Portia Cook with KCSU News, and information comes from the Weather Channel.
1: And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damian Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank
0: our guest today, our news producer Reese Granger, as well as the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you.
1: And I'd like to thank you, Portia.
0: And I'd like to thank you, Kira.
1: And finally, we couldn't do this without you. Dear listeners, thank you.
0: If you missed any part of today's show, you can find the RMR podcast on kcsufm.com under News or Podcasts. You can also find us on Spotify or anywhere else you listen to your podcast by searching KCSU News. And with that, we'll see you next time.